and welcome to Big Business Briefs with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And this week, we're looking at a story, we've actually had a couple of weeks off, but we're looking at a story that broke on the 4th of February. And it caught our eye because it says, don't ask for a big pay rise, warns Bank of England boss. We thought it was quite topical because this is a time when people are asking for pay rises because costs are are spiralling and... Um, there is a, a massive um, skills gap. So people are in demand, aren't they? So yeah. they're sort of not quite right in their own check, but they're they're in a much stronger bargaining position. But this was um, a report on the BBC News by Su Ping Chan. Uh, and essentially what the Bank of England um, boss is saying is that if we ask for more money, it will just make things worse because it will push the cost of everything up. So we, it would it would exacerbate the situation. But I don't know that yeah. that's actually <laughs> to stop people from asking. Is it? I think I think uh, what he says makes sense, but I think maybe he needs to think about um, what he's communicating in that, and uh, you know maybe not the most appropriate thing to say or. Well, and to whom? Yeah. Because asking for a big pay rise if you're earning big bucks is very different to asking for even a small pay rise yeah. if you're really... Oh, yeah, because the, the news line. at the moment is all about the cost of living. Everything is, mm. is going up. You know, and personally, my electricity, gas, my joint electricity and gas bill has doubled in my um, next tariff. I'm like, okay, that, that's fairly horrendous. Fortunately... Yeah, I, I can afford that, but there's yeah. a lot of people that that wouldn't be able to manage that. Yeah. And I think that also, sadly, that Mr. Bailey's pay is uh, is considerably higher. Say, so sadly, sadly for the message. Yes. For, yeah. for what he's communicating, because um, the in every single article I've, I've read about um, this statement and all other people criticising the statement, including. Um, the the head of um, Tesco, who who two days later came out and said, yeah, I don't think that's a good message. But Mr Bailey um, earns 18 times more than the median annual pay. Right. So the median annual pay for full-time employees is around £31,000. And Mr Bailey, from the, the, for a year, from the 1st of March 2021, um, was reported to have earned uh, £575,000. Right, OK. So I think when when you get that message and it's this one guy who is paid an incredibly high salary, you can sort of understand people's frustrations at that. Well, and not least because he's the man whose job it is to set interest rates <laughs> and control the economy. So it's a bit... Uh, not, I'm not saying right, but yeah, and there are other factors, aren't there? You know, there's 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 so many other things to think about, but yeah, it is a bit choice, really. Yeah, and I, I think we we've talked about this so many times, haven't we? The the labour market is in real flux at the moment. Um, staff that were in certain sectors are suddenly not there, and now there's massive shortages. Everything's moved around and uh, expectations um, for salary are going to go according to, you know, what the availability, aren't they? Mm. So in hospitality, we've already talked about um, some companies paying sort of finder's fees 
and there's so many places that you go to you ask how you're doing for staff and I don't think I've been to one um, hospitality venue that said, oh, yeah, we're fine for staff. Yeah, we've got loads, no. And and that is, it is partly to do with COVID. Um, it's partly to do with the B word. Mm. And, you know, people who who traditionally would do some of the lower paid jobs yeah. are not available to do them. And so that's, care companies are having to pay more to attract people into the care profession uh, so yeah, there are there are lots of factors, but um, I found some. Well, I found I found some interesting data. Uh, admittedly, from twenty twenty one, this was in um, Cosmopolitan, and uh, they were looking at the average UK salary for one hundred and fifteen different jobs. So you've talked wow. about that okay. um, that median, uh, and again, you know, it's the average sort of thirty thirty two thousand. But starting to look at in different sectors. Now there was a few surprises here for me. Um, so medical careers, um, radiographers, nurses, midwives, ambulance staff, not paramedics. You know, so a medical practitioner about sixty-two thousand pounds down to um, a nurse at thirty-three thousand pounds. Okay, and ambulance staff twenty-five and a half. So okay, whatever whatever we think about the NHS and how much people are paid, you know, those those numbers aren't massively out of kilter. Whether they're set at the right starting yeah. point is, is is by the by. But then you start to go into um into other professions and you've got, you know, a legal professional, um seventy seven thousand pounds. The one that stood out for me is a barrister, forty two thousand pounds. And yet I would think the that a barrister would, higher, would, yeah. would earn more. Um, and then you get into, uh, where was the one that caught my eye? Um, so a HR manager and director, 49,000. Um, an office manager, 32,000. Again, in terms of skill base and training, I think that's quite interesting, that in order to be a HR director, one would expect that you've got some CIPD qualifications where an office manager can have a broader set of, of skills. Um, but, but it, it, I don't know, I just, it, I thought there were some interesting ones. Um, Did it say where they got these figures from? They come from uh, the, was this one from the ONS? Yeah, this is the ONS. Okay. Um, so trusted figures, these? Trusted figures, yes. Um Another one, um, they don't seem to put dentists in at, at all. Dental nurses, 18,600. Medical and dental technicians, 27,500. Now, I see that as being people who make false teeth. I don't see that as being a dentist. Because dentists are quite well paid, aren't they? <laughs> I really don't know. I'm oh. starting to question my knowledge of salaries now. But it, Well, I think it's... A marketing director, 81,000. A graphic designer, 29,000. Yeah, uh, interesting numbers, interesting numbers. But then I moved on to GQ magazine and they were looking at average UK salary and, and saying, you know, how do you think um, you stack up? Now, one of the big things, again, ONS data. Um, so they're saying that, that COVID has skewed some of these average salaries because when people have been furloughed, for example, um, 
they you know do we include in an average salary do we include overtime do we include bonuses you know we've talked about that in the past is when you're trying to calculate so if you're not including those numbers um you've got people what people were earning pre-covid what people earning during covid and then when you start to look at a, a calculation there's there's all sorts of variables so you're not comparing apples with apples i think that's um that's the thing what I noticed, Sarah, is well, you talk about average. So I'm I'm guessing that what they're talking about is mean, yeah. which is different to the one that I quoted, which yeah. is the median. Because so, yeah. Yeah, the mean can be um, skewed enormously by massive bonuses yes. at the top end, yeah. can't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the median is literally the one in the middle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but then they start talking about, you know, location and the impact that has, age and gender, the impact that has... Um, you know, the the industry that you're in. So somebody in a particular role within one industry, so say an office manager, an office manager in construction versus an office manager in financial services might be very different. So lots and lots of variables. Um, but I think the, the tricky thing from a business point of view is how we, as business owners with staff, how we manage this yeah. so that we don't lose all of our staff that we don't get held over a barrel by people threatening to leave. Um, so it, it's thinking about... But there's another issue as well, though, isn't there? So say, for example, you, you're looking to recruit um, a purchasing manager. And if you benchmark your salaries against all the other purchasing managers in the area, it's really tricky if you, you say, buying something in a very niche market yeah. or it takes a niche industry yeah. experience. Yeah. So that that particular experience might be really hard to come by. So that purchasing manager would have potentially a much bigger salary because they they hold that exclusive niche knowledge, whereas to compare it with the purchasing manager down the road who's buying something that everybody can buy. A bit more generalist. Yeah, yeah, so you've got all of those issues as well. So when you're comparing things, even if you think you're comparing apples with apples, yeah, you're, you, not. you're not always, are you? I tell you, I met somebody today and they um, they work in a, an IT organisation and they gave an example of somebody who, so they have global offices and um, they've got about 200 employed staff and then about a thousand sort of freelance staff. And they mentioned, they're based in Shrewsbury and they mentioned somebody who has left their Shrewsbury office and gone to do the same job for a different company in London because they can get London money even though they aren't living in London. Oh, wow, okay. Right, because a London-based company is going to pay more money than a Shrewsbury-based company yeah. on the sort of regional point of view. Um, so actually, I'll go and get... I use my skills. Now that we've got hybrid working, now that we've got a lot of working from yeah. home. So if, with London waiting, etc., if I could earn 20% more... That person more, deserves a rise for just thinking The initiative, that. yes, yes totally. That's really good. Yeah. So I think as employers... It's really difficult. Obviously, if your staff need to be in the office or in the building doing the doing, that's slightly different. But if there's somebody else up the road and they can go and work for them for more money, what can we do as business owners and managers to keep our staff engaged? And that has to be about flexible working, 
working environment, training, you know, investment. It's the broader package. It's the broader package, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, that all started with a comment from the Governor of the Bank of England, uh, Mr. Bailey, um, just saying that don't ask for a pay rise. But I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. Yeah, it's not. That, yeah. That's our conclusion, isn't yes, it? Yes, I think so. I think so. <laughs> so yeah. let's move on to something else, which I, for me is a lot less nuanced. I've, uh, and this week I can give a big double thumbs up to the book we've reviewed. Okay. I really liked it, and I've also recommended it to two colleagues already. And one of those colleagues said, oh, it's funny you should say that, but somebody else recommended that to me ah. the other week. So um, this is called The Manager's Dilemma. How to As if there's only one. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the dilemma. <laughs> one of the manager's dilemmas, I yes, guess. Yes, yeah. yeah. The book is called The Manager's Dilemma. Yeah. How to Empower Your Team's Problem Solving, and it was published last September. The author is Ariel O'Farrell. What did you think, Heather? You've got the actual physical book. Yeah. There's no post-it notes in it yet, so I'm, I'm thinking maybe you haven't read it cover to cover No, yet. it literally arrived today. Oh, damn it. Because it was free on Kindle, free on Kindle Unlimited, so I started reading it. And thought, And I that. thought... I need to have a hard copy of this book. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm glad you felt like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because um, apart from anything, it consolidates quite a lot of the stuff that I use in the work that I do. Brilliant. Some of which, you know, is, is not, I'm not old hat. I'm not suggesting, you know, but like smart goals and things like that. that that's, that's fine. But actually slightly different ways of so there's some really interesting data in there slightly different ways of thinking about some of the tried and tested mm. ways that you yeah. might so yeah problem. it uses smart but yeah. um in a not not just for the sake of it, it it's a very relevant way yeah. of using smart to yeah. actually improve um the coaching of your staff yeah to solve problems yes so it's not getting them solving problems with smart no it's how you develop them yeah. to become better problem solvers yeah um, and and i think and 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 the way that um that he does it it i presume Ariel is a, it's a woman yeah is it yes irish i'm guessing yes <laughs> um uh yeah i've not come across that name before uh but yeah so practical application uh but it also I know how much you like a story. So he she, she? sorry <laughs> she uses scenarios um to sort of guide us through a scenario yeah. that what that somebody might find themselves in and how you might go about helping them to deal with that issue. And that's really useful conversations were actually scripted out yes, in there. So yeah. um, the first process being, can you identify where in this problem-solving process your employee, your team members are? Yeah. And then there are coaching examples for somebody who's in each of those segments of the uh, decision-making process. But right at the top, I highlighted this. This book is written for any manager that constantly has team members bringing issues, problems or decisions to be made to them, which the manager thinks those individuals should be able to resolve for themselves. And I've got to say, it was particularly relevant to work that I'm doing at the moment. And it's like hit the nail on the head with some issues that colleagues of mine uh, are working with. Um, and and what I thought was really good um, is the fact that it's a, um, 
it's saying um, the reason why the managers are in this situation is that those managers have been promoted because they're good at solving problems. Yes. And it's then very difficult to change that behaviour once you are a manager if people bring you problems. So the whole book is about coaching you to get people to solve those problems and bring them to you uh, in a different way. Uh, well, yes, and also for you to resist the temptation to solve the problem for them yeah. because that's not a point. Because that's what you do well because yes. that's why you've got yeah. to where you are. Yeah. Yeah. And and also I'm doing some work with an organisation at the moment and so some of the people who've been promoted to team leader, they're struggling to do exactly that, to stand outside and say to the team, you know, in the sort of delegation model, okay, go away and think about how you might solve that problem. And then come back to me and we'll talk about yeah. it. And it and they're finding it hard to not just go, you just do this, you just do that, and you just do the other, because that's not... And it's interesting as well, because there's a number of different reasons why that isn't good, isn't it? Because it's not just because the manager themselves becomes swamped, but that can be disempowering to your team. Yeah. Or it could just give them an easy way out of doing stuff. Yeah. And she talks to, look, there's a picture of her on the back. Oh, well, I didn't have this okay, until fair enough. I literally this is arrived. <laughs> I've had this in my office two hours. Okay, let you off. She looks very lovely. Um, so she talks through all those different scenarios. So it's not, um, you know, one size fits all. Mm. Actually looking at all of the different situations that your team members might be in and how you actually have to approach them all differently. Yeah. And, and from a business point of view... Um, if the managers continue doing the doing, when the manager's off, nobody knows how to do anything. Nobody knows how to solve a problem. When the manager leaves, there's no there's no skill. Yeah. There's been no upskilling of people to to make those decisions, which obviously is not is not a good thing. What um in terms of the business that you work in at the moment are some of the scenarios, or could the, some of the scenarios be familiar or ones that you've encountered yeah, in the past? Yeah, no, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. I could put faces to cert- certain scenarios in there. And I was already thinking about, okay, how can we run these as workshops? Yeah. And how can we do that, that eight-step problem solving? And how can we do the how to bring problems to them? So, yeah. yeah. I was getting very excited and yeah. creating more work for myself to run some <laughs> workshops, yeah. Um, but but I, I really liked it. I, I'm going to say, the bit that you mentioned about um, the scripts of the coaching, that's one bit that I flicked over because I, I was in a bit of a hurry to review this and yeah. I wanted to get to the point and sort of... I know that those scenarios are there in more detail for coaching, but I wanted to, to get a, an overview, really. Yeah, and and I think where those, I think the overview is totally fine. I think where those scripted conversations um, are useful is they're demonstrating a thought process. So they're using the SMART um, model. And and in, in some of the conversations, there's the manager with the problem and then the coach, i.e. yourself, uh, and how the coach takes that person through the problems. So it's... I think what it does is it starts to suggest to you the types of conversations that you could be having if you're not if you don't naturally have a coaching style. Yeah, and it 
it's it's rather good. It's um, permissive in its style, the book. So it's not saying the way you must do this is this. No. She's got some options. So you can do formal workshops. You can do informal coaching. You can do you can mix and match yeah. and, and use a number of those different things. And it might be that a different approach is relevant for different managers and for different team members. Yeah. And, and, and it's only a little thin book. It's not a massively thick book, but there's so much in there of, of value. Yeah, and and also she talks she talks about people who've inspired her, people who've mentored her, um, some nice quotes from time to time, things that people have said. Uh, yeah, being hypercritical, I think this is probably self-published. Um, sometimes the layout is a bit doesn't quite work for me. I think there's. There's a table that's completely. The first time it appears, it's fine, and then the second time it appears, it's all off kilter, and I found that quite annoying. Um, but but hey, you know that's me being being really picky. Uh, and as, as I said, I bought the bleeding book. <laughs> I, bought, I liked it so much, I bought the book. So in terms of layout, it, it takes a number of boxes as well because each chapter is rounded off by a summary. Mm. I always like a good summary. And um, then there's prompts with exercises for you to do looking at your own team. So yeah. every chapter follows the same pattern, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, good book. Can't remember how much I paid for it. 12 quid or something. Or free. if you've got Kindle Unlimited, have a look at that. It's free at the so moment. Free. Yeah, yeah. So that's The Manager's Dilemma, How to Empower Your Team's Problem Solving by Ariel O'Farrell. Okay, okay. From one woman, female author, to another female who's holding quite a um, quite a significant position at the moment. Mm. Chair of the Advisory Conciliation and Arbitration Service. You might know it as ACAS. And uh, Claire Chapman is who we're looking at today. Never heard of her until you pointed her out. She was on a list mm. somewhere, wasn't she? She was going to be speaking oh, at that's right. um, the Good Woman Conference or something. That's um, right. Great British Business Forum. There we go. There we go. There we go. That's what I said. And she was speaking at that last October. Um, and so she was uh, she was profiled on their website, which is rather handy because she gives a, a really nice Q and A, a load of uh, detailed answers there, uh, which really help with the research when when you're looking for um, you're looking for a bit of personal, and it's yeah. not always available for somebody like that. You know, they're not in. Uh, uh, Hello Magazine every no. other week. So, <laughs> no, profiles and business websites and business magazines are, are often a really good source. She's a serious player. And even, so very often we start with somebody's LinkedIn profile, don't we? Well, there's not a lot happening on Claire Chapman's LinkedIn profile. No, she's not a regular user of Twitter either. No. No, so there's not much happening no, there. No, so we, you do have to dig around a little bit. But she took over the position in May 2020, um, and it's a three-year post, but she holds met lots of different office um, officer roles with with. All Where sorts did you of get the, your best info? Mine was from the ACAS website itself. Apart from that um, Q and A session that she did. Yeah, the ACAS website was good. Um, where else did I find something? Oh yeah, um, there was there was some stuff around. 
um, on something called makesyouthink.com. There was um I'm really gonna have to buy you a new chair. Buddy. I know my chair squeaks, I'm really sorry, sorry. <laughs> but, um so there's um they do a podcast called Union Jews Podcast. So obviously um she's uh, an obvious person to to be interviewed on there. So she talks a little bit about the role of ACAS and actually, you know, how she thinks what its what its job is. Um and she talks about um Challenges around sustainability, fairness, the employee voice, equality, etc. So some of the the biggest, some of the big issues. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, uh, yeah, just sort of, I don't even know how I found that really. But talk a bit about her background then. So yeah, she might not have a very up to date LinkedIn page, but uh, the ACAS website certainly explains her experience. So um, at the time of writing. Um, this article, which you say was May 2020, yeah, um, and she actually took up post 27th of July 2020. Um, she was serving on the board of the Weir Group PLC G4S PLC Hydric and Struggles Inc., and she'd also been a low pay commissioner since 2015 and was co chair of the Purposeful Company. And previously, she was the group people director for BT Group and Tesco PLC. Um, Vice President of Human Resources for PepsiCo in Continental Europe and the Director General of Workforce at the Department of Health. Um, she also worked for Quaker Oats in the USA. So she's done quite a bit of work mm. uh, and really interesting. She's done some union work. She partnered with USDOR, the Union of Shop Distributive and Allied Workers, um, while she was working with Tesco um, to work on the framework for progressive employee relations. Yes, I mean, I did struggle. The, the whole thing about how she came to be, I'm just trying to find, how she came to be working for Quaker was a bit accidental, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't get um, sure. Oh, no, not Quaker. She was working for, I can't remember where I, where I read this now, she went to university, she got an opportunity to work somewhere, and then the next thing, they'd asked her to go overseas to manage something. It seemed to be a hell of a leap, but I can't remember where I found it. Uh, it's not on my notes. Oh, is it in the Q&A with the Great British Businesswoman Forum, by it, any chance? It could be. What, <laughs> so um, the first question is asking you to outline your career journey. There we go, yes. To date. So she talks about um, a history from going to school. Um, so she went to an all-girls school um, where she was um, somewhat shy, but had encouragement to learn and trust her own instincts and take risks. Uh, she was head girl there. Um, and let's have a look. She went to university intending to be a journalist. That didn't work out. And went to be a buyer at Harrods. That's That was it. That's the one. And then uh, she joined Quaker Oats in the UK. Um, they sponsored her to do a master's degree. And then the week before she got married, she was offered the opportunity to go to America uh, to do a presentation on behalf of her boss she couldn't resist. It was a hectic week, but it was worth it. And uh, she uh, she did this presentation for a job opportunity. Um, she was offered then with Quaker Oats in Chicago. 
That was it. I knew there was something. And her new husband also was able to move to America. That's as right, well. yeah, which does help. Which is help. quite lucky, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, which um, does help. Um, one thing on a very shallow level for, for, for a woman who's achieved so much, there's only one picture of her in circulation. It's the same picture, yeah. Everywhere, yeah, everywhere. Not been able to find any alternative picture of her. She needs her photos updating a bit, doesn't she? I think she does. I think she does. I mean, I, I know ours have been a bit out of date, but ours were fresh last year, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Already my hair's different colour. Yeah. <laughs> Several times, but a different colour. <laughs> Where? Although, why does she need another photo just to please us, Heather? Well, no, only just because I'm interested to... Well, see, see what she looks like. She can't have looked like that all that time. It must be... You know, for somebody who's, who holds so many... Um, not because she's a woman, but because she's yeah. a human being. For somebody who's all over the place, she's done a fantastic job of not being seen on video and me only being able to see find one photograph of her. Because I, I was hoping to see her doing a piece to camera or talking about something or being interviewed, but I didn't find any of that. Maybe she's shy. Yeah, maybe she just doesn't give a shit about photos. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's have a look at... Um, she talks here about women in the workplace and she references Indra Nui, so who we profiled mm. before. Mm. So she was the CEO and chair of PepsiCo and... Um, Claire also worked for Pepsi, so uh, she remembers her from her time working with the company. Um, and she was asked in this Q&A what practical steps, steps chiefs can take to improve the situation. And she says there are uh, mod challenges for business needle, needles. Business needles, <laughs> yes, yes. Business leaders, so to be um, role models and inspire all person, uh, all employees on why diversity matters. Be ambitious with clear expectations. Uh, develop skill and will. I like that one. Um, and remove barriers and reward behaviours. Quite a lot of detail there in, in that Q&A. And, and I could just read it all out now, but actually I'll just direct you to it. Um, it was from October last year, and it's the Great British Businesswoman Forum. And if you go and have a look at the Great British Businesswoman website, then the detail is all there. Uh, but you'd, I think you get a sense of herself as a person on there, yeah. rather than uh, you know just her profile and just her work experience. Yeah, she mentions, um, she says that, oh, many people say that their careers were very planned, but that's not my experience. Opportunities arise and you have to have the courage to say yes. And she says that if you look at my CV, it suggests tidy progression. But in truth, it's been a case of generous people spotting me and giving me the chance to do more. And that's why I try to do the same for others. Nice. Which I think, you know, we all have somebody who gave us um, who spotted something in us or gave us a bit of an opportunity or took a punt on us. And it is about us doing that in return. I think that's really important. So we didn't find out where she likes to shop or where she likes to spend no. a day shopping. Or how much money she's worth or anything, really. <laughs> so, But she's clearly, um, clearly a very busy woman. So that is Claire Chapman. Uh, she's the chair of ACAS. Um, 
for another 18 months or so. Yeah, what I can understand is her predecessor... He was there for five years. Yeah. Why is she only there for three? So uh, whether they've just decided that, you know, to revamp, or maybe she only wanted to commit for three, I don't know. But yes, I noticed that. Mm. Wondered what had changed. Maybe, yeah, maybe she said, I'll give you three years and then I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, and we still haven't come up with an outro, so yeah, see ya.